Just want to welcome everyone tonight to our Wednesday night Bible study. For those that are watching via online, we welcome you likewise. And um, I just want to read the scripture. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought unto shame that seek my hurt. Um, when you just read this, when you think about two children, they're on a seesaw, right? There's only one rule. In order, when you go up, you'll go down, right? So they work together. And if you think about it, when God allows us to be on top of the mountain, we should allow our attitudes, you know, we should give him glory, but allow our attitudes, allow our, you know, depression or, you know, everything that's negative, we need to allow that to go down as we lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us stand and then we're just going to pray and just ask God to have his way in our midst tonight. Um, is there anyone with prayer requests? Amen. And those online, let's remember them also. And also let's remember to keep uh, William Hester, that's Sister Chrisea's father. He's in the hospital. She's been with him all day. So let's just lift him up for healing. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you tonight, Lord God, for your goodness. You're an awesome God. You're mighty. You're righteous. You're holy. God, there is none like you. There is none to compare to you. Lord Jesus, we come before you humbly, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge your sovereignty, O oh God. We ask you right now first to forgive us of every sin we've committed against thee, only and only, Lord. We ask you, God, that you will cleanse our hearts, our minds, our spirit. Cleanse us wholly, Almighty God, that nothing will hinder, Almighty God, whatever it is that you have to download in our spirits tonight, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, help us to be in unity, Lord Jesus, because God, as your word said, if we're united, almighty God, Lord Jesus, your kingdom will prosper, God. But God, we stand in your presence and we know, almighty God, Lord Jesus, that unity is strength, God. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you will move amongst us, oh God. Lord, for those that are sick, for those that, are, that raise their hands, God, whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual, whatever it is, almighty God, you know the needs of your people. And God, we put it before you tonight. And we ask you, oh God, that you will touch us individually and collectively. I pray, oh God, for William Hester tonight. I pray for healing in his body, almighty God. We bind every Every spirit that would try to, Almighty God, pull him down, Lord Jesus. And I pray your healing, even right now in that hospital room, that Almighty God, his blood pressure, oh God, will become normal and that things will work out the way it's intended to work out, God. Oh, Father, we submit to your will and to your way. I pray, Almighty God, as, as the man of God step forward to deliver your word, that Almighty God, you'll use him as your oracle, oh Father God, and that you will touch our hearts, Lord, open our hearts, that we 
will be receptive, O oh God, and not only be hearers of your word, but will be doers also. Have your way tonight. For those that are on their way, may you give them traveling mercies. Oh, merciful Father, just let us be unified tonight and you be glorified. Have your way as we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, Jesus. We magnify you, Lord. Ah, Lord, you reign forever. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, let's worship. Doesn't have to be a Sunday. Glory to God. Come on, clap your hands. Sing, my God reign, my God reign, our God reign, our God reign. Lord, you reign above every name. Sing, my God reign, my God reign, our God reign, our God reign. Lord, you reign above every name. With power and majesty, dominion authority, you
tonight because God is certainly in this place. So glad to be in the house of the Lord. It's just a joy to be with all of you and just worship the Lord together. Amen. It's Wednesday night. It's our Bible study and we have to continue to say it's Wednesday night because we've said Thursday for over eight years and so we have to work on making sure we understand it's Wednesday. So many of us, our schedules have been kind of thrown off since we've been coming to Bible study on Wednesday nights because we were so used to Thursdays for so long. Our schedules get thrown off. We think tomorrow's Friday. <laughs> well, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Well, I am continuing to teach. We, I believe we only have two more lessons. Um, I'll probably do two and one on the last lesson. So we have two more lessons on making disciples. I need to mention this to you. Um, as the Lord put anything in my heart and I feel a burden of something, I like to share it with you when I believe it's concerning us and not just me. Um, as a pastor, you have to differentiate when God is burdening you with something for a personal situation and when he's burdening you, burdening you with something for you and the church. And so what I'm about to say is a burden that I'm feeling for myself and this congregation. And the biggest thing that I've been feeling lately that I've been talking to the Lord about is how much we are, uh, what we're doing with um, our maturity and our growth. 
um, I'm, I'm burdened with if we have really looked into all of the church services that we go to, all of the preaching that we hear, how are they affecting our lives? How are we seeing transformation or growth as we attend church services, as we attend Bible study, as we attend extra church services? How are we seeing it manifest? And so I wrote this down. I mentioned this in my discipleship class uh, Tuesday, which was last night, and I feel strongly that I need to continue to say this until maybe we begin to look into this a little bit uh, closer. And I wrote down measuring and examining growth and maturity according to the word of God. Here is what I said. I said, most of us are not measuring and examining our life in Christ according to the word of God to be sure we are growing and maturing in Christ. And let me clarify this. Most of what we do in life, we always measure to see how effective we are. We measure to see, why do we go to school? We measure how we're being educated to see if we go to the next level of studies. When we graduate from school, the next thing. So in our world, we constantly measure our progress. But I feel like the church, particularly our church, I'm not going to speak for anybody else's church, I don't know if we put enough emphasis on measuring our growth and maturity as Christians. And it's not a good practice for us to come to the house of the Lord, hear the word of God, and just nonchalantly just believe by osmosis we will keep growing. We have to begin to measure. We have to begin to put something in place to examine where am I? Am I moving forward? Am I doing some new things in Christ? Am I overcoming some things that I used to struggle with before? We call the Christian life a journey that we're taking. And if we're taking a journey, are you standing still? Or you're moving toward the end game of the journey, the destination of the journey. Or we're just standing still and eventually we'll move forward. I really feel strongly in my spirit that we need to all examine this to say, are we measuring our growth? Are we measuring our maturity in Christ? Or we just show up because it's just what we do. And I'm asking God, and I'm putting it out to you and myself to say, I believe we need to change and be a little bit more challenging to ourselves to say, how do I know I'm growing? 
How do I know I've gone from A to B? How do I know the preaching that I heard last week is affecting how I live this week? How do I know that? Very important that we do that. If I used to come to church in a month, I come to church two times a month. And two years from now, I'm still coming to church two times a month. Measuring that, then I'm going to say, for the past couple of years, I haven't really grown. That's a fact. That's measurement. But we don't want to get to that place and say, you know what, that is true. We need to examine that. Now, looking at the good part, I'm coming to church for the first couple of years. You know, I was only coming two times. Now I'm at every service. That's wonderful. That's growth. I, when I started coming to church, I still slipped up and I curse. Now, man, cursing can't even come to my mind because I don't think about it. I used to have a temper. And guess what? I can tell since I've been coming to church, the temper have waned and I don't get real worked up so easily anymore. We have to measure these things. But we're not measuring them. We just feel like, hey, I go to church. I'm doing what the word of God said to do. And so we go forward. But are you going anywhere? Are you maturing? Are you developing the way God wants you to, or we're just going through the motions? And so I feel very, um, I feel like I need to share that with you. I'm doing that for myself, and I'm praying to God that you will hear me tonight, and you will do that for yourself, that you will start to measure your Christian walk, because we are taking it too much for granted, and we're just, we're just in neutral and we won't admit it to ourselves. So many of us are in neutral. And we won't admit it to ourselves. I believe, I've been teaching this discipleship, making disciple for nine weeks now. I don't know how many of us have really challenged ourselves to say, man, I am going to make me a disciple. I am going to do what I've been hearing to say, somebody is going to live for God because of me. That's not being prideful. That's not being arrogant. That's just being a Christian. Somebody's going to live for God because of me. I cannot continue to live my life as a Christian and nobody is living for God because of me. That's a measurement. And sometimes we measure things and it's easy for us because we know we serve a loving, kind God. It's easy for us to say, well, you know what? God is good. And God is loving. He is all of that. But as I like to point out, so it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. God has allowed us to see it that way. And if you had a child that was not developing and not growing, you would be going to the doctor constantly. You will make sure you get special help to make sure your child is developing, that your child is growing. Your child is moving along and normal things are happening as that child is developing in their journey called life. Are we going to do that for ourselves? Are we going to help the person that get baptized in Jesus' name to make sure them now being born into a new world that they're able to develop? And that's what I'm talking about, measuring. We have to start measuring how we live for God. Not with, not with anyone. Measure your growth, your progress with the word of God. Not your neighbor. 
measure it with the word of God. When I hear it preached, when I hear it taught, when, when I read it, when God speaks to me, measure my actions on the word of God to say, do I see progress? And can I, can I verify, can I, can I confirm that there's progress? And so I start tonight with this scripture here in, let's see, 1 Corinthians 10, 32, 33, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. The scripture says, and I'm going to read it in the NIV version, do not cause anyone, this is the word of God, because sometimes, like, like, like some of the different denominations that we might say, I don't agree with them, we tend to do something like them, which is what I'm getting ready to tell you. Sometimes we read scriptures as apostolics and we act like those scriptures are not in the Bible. Because whenever we read scriptures as humans, it seems like whenever it becomes a challenging portion of scripture, we just kind of skip over it like, well, that's not a part of the Bible. All of the Bible is supposed to be applied to our life in some way, shape, or form. Do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greek, or the church of God. Can I point out to you? So living the way you want, how you want, can't be right. Living the way you want and how you want cannot be right. Because if you do, you're going to cause somebody to stumble. And we don't like that because we are bent, we are dead set on this. This is my life. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I got to do. I know I'm not perfect. God's still working on me. And we say all these things just to not get to the place of realizing I need to live a Christian life that will not offend anybody. That will not cause somebody to stumble. I, am, I don't want you to get yourself in a place where you're already ready to give yourself the, the, the escape. Well, nobody's perfect. I know that, and God knows that. But he's still calling you to live a Christian life that will not cause anybody else to stumble. But in our mind, something happened to somebody, we're like, that's just them. I'm not, you know, they're just weak. They just can't, that's on them. And we're quick to say that as opposed to realize, my God, did I cause that person to stumble? Did I cause that person to, to, to miss out on something? Because that's how we are supposed to be thinking as Christians. If we're not Christians, then every man and every woman is for himself. And they don't care what happens to anybody. But as Christians, we're not supposed to live like that. Paul says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way. So Paul is not telling you that, that, that he uh, uh, lives his life just for him. He says, I try to please people in every way that I can. Again, that's a Christian attribute. That we're supposed to prefer our brother over ourselves, our sister over ourselves. So if we're doing that, it means I'm trying to make sure they're good. Mm -hmm. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. So our life is supposed to be, let me do everything that I can 
to make sure I don't cause anyone to stumble, but so that I can encourage them to do well and to be saved. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's how we're supposed to be living as Christians. Measure that. Then he went on to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. Help us tonight, Lord. Let your spirit just speak to us. Help us, Lord God, to hear what the spirit is saying unto us. Lord, help us to receive what you have intended for us to receive, that we may understand it, and that you will give us the wisdom we need to apply it. Help us tonight to walk away with tangible tools to help us to grow and to mature in you, that we can measure the result from what we have received in the word of God. Move on us tonight in the way that only you can do. Help us, almighty God, in the name of Jesus. Allow me to speak as your oracle to impart your truth into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If, 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 you're, not, if you're a little hot, um, make sure the air condition is good if folks are a little hot. So some people fan and you're good. Sure. All right. So tonight I want to talk to you with this subtitle in mind. Disciple makers as tour guides. Disciple makers as tour guides. So we've been talking about making disciples. I want to bring your attention to what we're just this lesson tonight that we want to talk about disciple makers as tour guides. If you have ever been on a tour to a strange city or nation, you may then understand how wonderful it is to have a tour guide. I was a good experience, went to the, mother, the, 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 the motherland, Israel, and tour guide was really, really good. The quality of a tour guide makes all the difference in how the tour will go. A tour guide will determine the level of enrichment you will, you will experience. Nearly everything you see, hear, and feel as you take the journey is directly downloaded to you after having been filtered through the background, education, experience, and attitude of your tour guide. Say, I need a tour guide. Mm -hmm. A good tour guide is worth his or her weight in gold. Mm -hmm. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That sounds to me like touring is going on. Some touring is going on. Paul is following Jesus and others are following Paul. That sounds like Paul is touring with Jesus and other people are touring with Paul. 
Jesus commanded all his disciples to go make disciples, which must be taken seriously by every born again Christian. A disciple is one who follows to lead. A disciple is one who follows to lead. And so the question is, for all of us in here today, who are you following and who are you leading? Who are you following and who are you leading? That's measurable. That's clear. You know if you're following someone and you know if you're leading someone. But we must ask the question because if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we should be doing both. If we've been in God any amount of time, we should be doing both. We should be following someone and we should be leading someone. A disciple maker is like a tour guide who leads the new believer into a new undiscovered life in Jesus Christ. No matter how much you know as a Christian or I know as a Christian, it will do us well to still have a tour guide. Because since none of us really knows everything, the best we can do is make sure we're always following someone that knows more than what we know. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, the Apostle Peter writes, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Check this out. Peter said that believers have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that what the scripture said? Peter apparently understood that spiritual immigrants would have a challenge. Anybody that's an immigrant, if you, I've been an immigrant, so I know it's a challenge. The first message I ever preached as a preacher in, in front of people was entitled, We Are Not of This World. God allowed me to understand that message because I came to a country where I was an immigrant. And when I came to the country where I was an immigrant, I didn't understand their culture. I didn't understand how to fit in. I didn't know what their regular practices were. And so I had to figure out what's going on and try to mimic what was going on. You try going to junior high school and, 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 and you're coming from a foreign country and now you're going to junior high school and not try to fit in as quick as possible. You will get teased. You will get laughed at. So you have to figure out how to fit in, fit in as quickly as possible. So you're always looking and paying attention. Oh, that's what they do? Okay. And so we do what we have to to make sure we catch on. So we have to understand that spiritual immigrants, they need a tour guide. Somebody say amen. Mm -hmm. Peter apparently understood that. They were 
leaving one land for another land and leaving one culture for another culture. How much easier is it to make the transition from one kingdom to another kingdom if accompanied by a tour guide? As I'm talking to you, I'm processing what I'm saying. And my friend Stacy was my tour guide when I came to America. He is an American. He was born in America, lived in America. When I came, I didn't have any friends. But when he became my friend, I was watching what he was doing. And he, he would tell me stuff. Yeah, this is this, this is that. And so that, he was my tour guide unofficially. The interesting thing about what I'm teaching here is we do it in an unofficial way anyway in the world. Why aren't we doing it in the kingdom of God? Hmm. Interesting. Peter understood that these post-sinners, pre-saints, would need someone to show them the ropes, teach them the customs and principles, and explain why we don't or why we do the things that we do. Do we understand that we need tour guides to help people understand things that they would not otherwise understand if they didn't have a tour guide. But many times we come to church on Sundays and we're locked in because our mindset is, I got to get mine. I got to get strong. I got I to receive what God has for me. And we got people that's needing the tour guide and they don't get to have a tour guide. The sights and sounds of an apostolic church service are familiar to those who are part of the church service. Those who have been around for some time and they're accustomed to the church service. Conversely, outsiders who wants to be saved or in the process of spiritual transformation can easily be overwhelmed or distracted from pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ and being a part of the church because of the sights and the sounds which are unfamiliar to them. Do we stop and think about that sometimes? That people who are not accustomed to our customs, accustomed to what we do as a people of God. They come in, they're not accustomed to it. Do we think about it? That man, we're saying things, we're doing things that they're probably like, distracted by, wondering what's going on, or just overwhelmed by it? Do we think about that and realize we probably need to come alongside them and help them to understand what is going on? We're talking about disciple makers as tour guides. Mm -hmm. They need someone they believe in to guide them step by step. This is why it's very important that, that when we have guests, one, two, or three-time guests, that all of us try our best to at least greet them and say, hello, my name is so-and-so. Because remember what I told you, people will determine if you're the one that they feel comfortable with. You cannot make yourself comfortable with someone. That's not up to you. When we get guests in, they decide who they're comfortable with. 
but they have to meet as many of us as possible so they will have the most opportunity they could to get comfortable with somebody. Somehow there will be some relatability. Somehow there will be some connectivity and they will be able to say, yeah, yeah. And so now, once they become comfortable with you, you got to be quick on your feet to realize, okay, let me start helping them feel comfortable and become familiar with what's going on. And sometimes you don't have to tell them anything. You just ask questions. That's the best way to try to understand how to work with people that are not familiar with this kind of environment. Ask them questions. So did you feel uncomfortable? Did you feel that we were weird? What did you think? All questions. When you ask questions, you normally don't offend people. When you ask questions, you give them an opportunity to express themselves, and most people like to express themselves about themselves. So when you ask them questions, that gives them an opportunity to do something they're comfortable with, express themselves. And so we have to pick up on those things and realize that if I can come alongside someone and befriend them and, and just begin to ask questions, I can become their tour guide. <laughs> Jesus did not give his then followers or future followers a choice of determining what would be the best or most effective way to establish spiritual maturity in new believers or of a given culture. Jesus' disciple-making model was intended for disciples of every generation and century to replicate continuously. So, we have this word that wasn't always a word that we talked about, but now it's the word, sustainability. That wasn't always the main word. That wasn't a main street word. But for the past 10 years, sustainability, sustainability. Jesus realized that we needed sustainability in the word of God, and that's why he gave us the method of making disciples. So he showed us what sustainability looked like way before we can even come up with a word to describe what we're doing. Making disciples is a sustainable process. Anything else that we do is not sustainable. You heard when I started talking about making disciples from the very beginning, that there's a lot of things that many churches and, and ministers and pastors have tried over the years to, to reach the loss, but it was not sustainable. Some places you go, they have block parties. We're going to give away iPads. We're going to give away iPhones. We're going to give away toys. That's cool and you can do that, but that's not sustainable. So many churches have done things where many people have gotten baptized. And by the time you take a look, give it a year, and you're saying, any of the people that got baptized last year still around? Because we do some things that might work for a second, but it's not sustainable. It's not the model that Christ gave us to affect the whole world with the gospel. Making disciples. It is obviously true that disciple makers must be more mature in their walk with God than their fellow or than their followers 
or there will be no transformation. You got to be more mature. And for people that's coming into our church services that are not born again of the water and the spirit, rest assured, you're more mature than them. So no need to panic, no need to say, well, I don't know if I can do it. You can do it. It is not necessary for someone who desired to be a disciple maker to obtain the ultimate Christian perfection before he or she attempt to make disciples. In fact, if this was the requirement, none of us would be qualified to be a disciple maker. So, before, we, we have to make sure we, we don't make excuses for our actions or lack thereof. Challenge yourself. Don't, don't look for, you know, every time I talk to people that are supposed to be living for God, and as soon as they say, nobody's perfect, I close my eyes and try to walk away. Because we all know that. Who don't know nobody's perfect? Who, who do you think there is that believe that they're perfect? No flaw. Ready to go to heaven. Nobody don't believe they're perfect. So when we have to say that, it means something else is going on. Well, nobody is perfect. I know that. So why are we talking about that? Can we just do what we got to do and stop trying to make excuses as to why we're not doing what we're supposed to do? Because when we start saying nobody's perfect and we start making all of these reasons for why we're not doing it, we'll never get it done. I'll add this in. Some of us will never get anything done because we procrastinate too much. Got to get rid of that. Got to get rid of that. Sometimes the only way to learn is to go and do something and make a mistake. Sometimes that's the best way you're going to make it. Go and make a decision. Whether it's right or wrong, just make the decision. Because if it's right, yippee, that's great. If it's wrong, I just now learned something new. But we're afraid to do everything. Everything, well, and we got all this talk. We just start talking about this and talking about that. Before you know, we just had a long talk. Nothing got done. That's not what God called us to do. The most important thing about a leader-follower relationship is that the leader must be more mature in Christ than the follower. The leader leads, watch this, the leader leads by staying ahead, but not too far ahead of the follower. Watch it. In fact, it is necessary that the leader is only one step ahead of the follower. If you're only one step, it means you're close. Close. You ever had somebody walk behind you and they walk so close that they step on the back of your heel? Like, come on now, stop. You got to put your shoes back on. That's how close you need to lead the person that's following you. We take the long way in accomplishing the will of God so often and we don't realize it. The long way to get to heaven is to tell yourself, I'm trying my best to get to heaven. And you're trying to do it the best and easiest way you think. That's the long way. 
we get bored very easily. And if you keep doing the same thing over and over, even though it's right, you're going to get bored. And what you're going to find is you're going to live your life in a lot of peaks and valleys. But if you will live your life as we are talking about here and be a disciple maker, you won't even notice when you're in the valley. Because always ready to tell somebody about Jesus is supposed to make you so excited that you feel like you're always on a mountaintop. Friday and Saturday I sat around with some people that are not saved. And I felt like I was at the mountaintop. Because I would ask questions and they would say, so what do you think about this? And I would be able to give my answer. Mm-hmm. That makes you feel like you're on the mountaintop no matter what's going on in your life. When you're able to impart the word of God into somebody's life that is not saved. You will always feel like you're on the mountaintop. Whether it's true or not, doesn't matter because you just know I'm speaking the word of life into somebody. And that feels like, man, valley. What valley? Things closing in on you and it doesn't feel that way because speaking the word of God into somebody's life that needs it. Whew, that's mountaintop experience all day. And you won't get bored. But trying to live for God just every day maintaining your holiness and your righteousness and almost uh, living your life to protect your life. Let God protect you. Let the Lord, he says that he will be your shield and your buckler. He said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's time that we stop trying to worry about, uh, and let me ask you this. Maybe this is something that I'm not thinking about and you might have already thought about. Are we not... Uh, are we not, what's the word I'm looking for? Are we not sure about who we are in Christ? Is that why we haven't really delved into making disciples? Are we not sure who we are? Are we not confident in who we are? Because I noticed something, and I felt this, again, this past weekend. The Bible talked about Jesus going to eat with sinners and being around, you know, people of the world. And I realized something. I realized that it's insecure Christians that's going to think like that. I cannot tell you the boldness that I feel to go get around worldly people that are just bring me around them. Take me to them. Because they don't get to see righteousness. They don't get to see holiness. And so we keep our righteousness and our holiness bottled up and closed off. And they never get to see it. And so in their mind, they just don't know what's going on. They just keep doing what they're doing. But the day we, the church, will respond like we're supposed to say, I am a disciple of Christ. I am a tour guide. And so when I show up, I'm there to represent Christ. And I'm there to let somebody know that their life could be significantly different than what it is now. 
You don't have to keep on smoking and get your lips black. You don't have to every day be high. You don't have to be stressed out all the time. You can be something different than what you're experiencing every day. We got to get bold enough to show up and be ready to express these kind of things. So we, another measuring thing. Are you sure about who you are? Are you confident in who you are as a child of God? Measure that. And if you're not, it's okay. But figure out how to get strong in that area. We're talking about we need to make sure we have some measurables that we can say, okay, I need to get that right. Like Jesus, if the leader, the disciple maker, the tour guide, want the gospel to continue even after they are gone, they must replace themselves. So, how much do you care about the gospel message continuing to go on and people being saved? How much do you care about that? Or do you just care about, I just got to make sure I'm saved. I just got to make sure I'm saved. Or do we stop and say, my God died for this entire world. And we cannot afford for this gospel message to not continue to go forward. Can't forget the scripture that says, and Pharaoh died. And the new Pharaoh knew not Joseph. You know your Bible? And so, it's not a whole lot that we have to do to become removed from truth flowing in a generation. We can mess that up just like that. So we have to start saying, I need to replace myself. If I'm a real Christian, if I'm confident in who I am, I need to replace myself. And, if, and, and, and before I die, all of us need to make up in our mind, before I die, I need to at least make one disciple. Because what I sow, I will reap. And if I make one disciple, I believe that that one disciple will make another disciple. And, and the gospel continues because I made one disciple. You don't have to make two and three. You don't have to make four and five. Just make one disciple. Replace yourself. We cannot live our life just trying to get to heaven. Not a good way to go. I know we've heard it in church many times for many years. Oh, I'm just trying to get to heaven. I just want to be saved. Remember what I've always said. If all God wanted you to be is saved, the day you were baptized in Jesus' name and you got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues, you would have ascended to heaven. If that's all God wanted from you was for you to be saved, when you were saved, saved, you would have ascended to heaven and you would not be here still. But because we didn't ascend to heaven when we got saved, saved, it must mean there are some other things need to be done before we get up out of here. It's just that clear. It's just that clear to understand that if all I should be doing is live for God to get to heaven, then why am I still here, God? Why am I still here? I should be out of here because I speak in tongues. I'm baptized in Jesus' name. Why am I still here? That can answer a lot of questions. Just that simple. 
Why am I still here? Moses was a great leader. But he didn't take all his leadership abilities and gifts and knowledge to the grave. <laughs> he invested time and energy into the next generation, namely Joshua. He, invent, he, he invited Joshua to closely follow him. He took Joshua to places and shared experiences with him. We cannot disciple everyone. But we can invite someone who the Lord Jesus directs us to, to take the journey with us in Christ, and we can be their tour guide. Take the journey with me. You'll learn so much. We can invest our ambitions, dreams, heart, purpose, values in the person that will take the journey with us. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. If we, had, if we invite people to take the journey with us, we'll make the journey a lot more fun. You don't believe that? You know you don't want anybody following you and you're just a boring kind of person. So if you tell somebody to take the journey with you, you're going to spruce up the journey. You're going to make it fun. You're going to do something to make the person want to keep following that's, that's kind of that's the essence of church. The real essence of church is to spruce up the journey to everlasting life in Christ. Go back in the day. First of all, I'm sure that they didn't start out with buildings. We know in scripture they started out with tents. They started out in the garden first. Then they started then they started having tents. Then they got some building structures. But they weren't having church services like we have church services. So these things were just to spruce up the journey. To make the journey exciting. And so if we will disciple people, we have to make sure we make it exciting as well. And I will not come off of this. I believe many of people would be living for God if we would just be excited about how we're living for God. And I believe that if we would live for God with excitement, with enjoyment, with the joy of the Lord, and we would do the things that the Bible says we need to do, I believe a lot more people would want to follow us. But unfortunately, I believe we make the journey so dull, so boring, that the worldly people are looking like, I'm good. I'm having fun out here. Yeah, they're going to be in a bad spot when they die without Jesus, but they're not thinking about that. All they're saying is, I'm having fun out here. The other day, here's one of my witnessing tools, Sister Cook, since you was in, a, in, in the same place where I was. So I was in the backyard. They playing some Bob Marley, um, um, Brother Kellyman, some, some Bob Marley, right? And they beating their juice and drinking. I just leaned over. I said, so tell me right now, who in the world is singing music like this in the world now? He looked at me. He smiled. He said, I don't sing music like this anymore. I said, so why y'all still living out there in the world? You see what I'm saying? Because I'm in it. Yeah, I eased over. I said, so who's singing this kind of stuff? Because this we know, at least it made sense. I said, so who's singing like this right now? He said, 
He took a sip of his beer. Nobody. Nobody. I said, so y'all still got to listen to the old music to get some good sound music. Huh? He said, yep. I said, so why are we still out there? You're right, Reverend. That's why they told me to start a church down in Florida. <laughs> that's the reason. That's how we got to. Man, you need to get a church down here. I said, oh, no, God didn't tell me that. But you won't know how to talk to them if you're not around them. I'm not telling you go drink around them. I'm not telling you, you, you got to be sure in who you are. So when you sit around them, you're not tempted. You're not worried about it because you already know. I, I already know this life. It don't take you nowhere. And they need to know you're not condemning them. Because they think the church people, they don't even want to be around church. We're like, man, them people, man, they think they're better than everybody. That's what they're saying. So you got to get around them and don't act like they, 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 something wrong with them. They got the plague or something. Be confident in who you are. Forget about anything else and talk normal. And don't make them feel like they got the plague. Just saying. They need to see it. They don't see it. Every chance we get, funerals we go to, weddings we go to, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and do what? Glorify the Father which is in heaven. We got to do it because they're not going to see it if you don't go out there. This is why the Lord says to go. He didn't say stay. He says go and make disciples. That's what he said. Let me finish up here. Many of us, when it comes down to this disciple-making thing, this disciple process, discipleship, it's a challenge because I've seen where we feel like our world has made us become so individualistic more than any other time. It's about us. It's about us. We're, we're just focused on self. And so we can't fathom following anybody. I ain't following you. Please, I, I'm my own person. Children don't even want to follow parents. I'm my own person. Okay. That's worldly talk. That's worldly talk. I'm my own person. I'm not telling you you're not your own person. I'm not telling you you're not your own individual. But what I'm telling you is we're supposed to be following somebody and leading somebody. What I'm telling you is Jesus died for a purpose and he left the mission that we need to fulfill. And so we ought to be following each other as we follow Christ. So we have this narrative going that, man, I'm my own person. I'm not following nobody. And so guess what? You ain't never going to be saved because the method that Jesus Christ left is disciple making. And if you're going to be saved, you got to follow somebody. I ain't following nobody. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Okay. I hate to break the news to you. You're not going to heaven being your own man and your own woman. That's not the way he put this together. That's the way you are living it, but that's not the way he put it together. we got to stop telling ourselves, I'm my own person. God, That's like saying, I know I'm not perfect. Same kind of deal. I know you're your own person, but it still comes down to, who are you following? Who are you following? And who are you leading? Jesus didn't call us. To walk alone. 
No Lone Rangers. That's not what he's about. The Lord Jesus do want you to be your own person. But your mission and the end game must be the same as Jesus. To seek and to save the lost. Disciple makers always see the potential in their disciple. Remember I always tell you this? That one thing that the Lord does with a pastor's heart when he calls him the pastor, he never allows him to see the flaws as much as he sees the potential. It's hard for any God-called pastor to see a whole lot of negative in people. If he sees a whole lot of negative, he ain't called. She ain't called. Because God is that good where he shows us the potential in people and we focus on that. We don't focus on anything else. The potential. That's why this job is so hard. Because you see the potential in people and a lot of times they don't see the potential that you see in them. So when they don't see the potential you see in them, it's frustrating because you're saying to your mind, bro, sis, you don't know what I see. God wants to do great and mighty things in your life and through you, but for some reason you're not seeing it. You've got to see the potential in people when you're going to make disciples. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Then departed Barnabas to Tar- Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him, in, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first. In Antioch. Take a look at Barnabas and Saul's relationship. When Paul was rejected by the church at Jerusalem, it was Barnabas who took, actually put his reputation on the line. Mm -hmm. And took Paul under his wings and vouched for him personally and discipled him. Barnabas recognized Paul's potential and therefore vouched for him and worked with him. Can you imagine you're the guy that ministered and nurtured and discipled, just for lack of a better term, the greatest apostle? You never know who is going to be what in Christ. You never know who you're ministering to, who you're discipling, what they will do in Christ. And so if we will just give it a chance. The apostolic church culture is foreign to most first-time guests. They don't understand the demonstrative worship, the emotional responses to the presence of God, the move of the Spirit. They are feeling the passionate preaching uh, of, of a, or, or they don't understand the Pentecostal terminology. Many people have visited an apostolic Pentecostal church and never returned because They had questions that they never got answered and left confused and befuddled. Because no tour guide. No tour guide. Nobody came alongside them to help them. Maybe if they had a tour guide that believed in them and see their potential, who was able to come alongside of them and answer their questions, explain what they don't understand, maybe they would have become a disciple as opposed to walking away as a frustrated, befuddled 
want to be. Because that's what it comes down to. They want to be a Christian. They want to live for God. But if they don't get a disciple maker, if they don't get a tour guide to come alongside them, they're just going to keep wanting to be. I close with this. A little boy woke up in the night when he heard a loud clap of thunder just outside his window. He jumped out of his bed, ran into his parents' bedroom, took a flying leap, and landed right between them. I feel like Jordan did that many a nights. (laughs) His dad said, son, what's wrong? The boy said, Daddy, I heard the thunder, and I was scared. I had to come into your room. His dad said, well, son, you know Jesus is with you in that room, right? The son said, I know, Dad, but right now, I need someone with some skin on. Sometimes we just need somebody with some skin on. That's reality. And God knows it. This is why he gave the man the wife. This is why he said two is better than one. He knows it. So we're not saying something contrary to the word of God. God knows sometimes we just need some skin. Somebody present that we can touch. Somebody that can put their arms around us and talk to us. Somebody that can express to us kindness and love and mercy. Sometimes they just need an individual that will help them. And so often we just think, well, they got Jesus. Just like I got Jesus, they can get Jesus. Trying to get to heaven all by ourselves. Disciple makers are Jesus' representatives. Let's take our disciple on a guided tour on what it means to live an overcoming, joyous, victorious, and abundant life in Christ. Let's take somebody on tour. Let's make up in our mind that we are going to make a disciple if that's the last thing I do before I leave this world. Let's make up in our mind, I'm going to make a disciple. Somebody needs to be walking around in this world, saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, and making a disciple on their own because I put myself out there to help them become a disciple. We need to make our minds up for that. Too many people get baptized and they're not in the church. Too many people get filled with the Holy Ghost and they're not in the church. Statistics has already proven what I'm saying. We say it from this standpoint, that people that are born again who enters a discipleship class in the church, those people are 70-something percent times more likely to stay in the church than those who never enter a discipleship class. And so we probably can go around this room and say, were you ever in a discipleship class? And most of you are going to say yes. That's why you're here on a Wednesday night. It works. It really do work. That if we disciple people, they will become saints of God. They will become real, uh, fine Christian people that are strong, that will repeat what was done for them. We have to make disciples. We don't have any choice. 
It's how we're going to get to heaven by making disciples, not just sitting around, coming to church, and just waiting for the, Jesus to come back. Got to tell yourself, I'm going to be a disciple maker. Let's stand. The other thing that I've been praying about, the Lord says that a pastor and any leader should not try to take constraint over his flock, try to rule over his flock. That's what the Bible says. The people of God belongs to God. And the pastor or the minister or whoever should not use force or control or manipulation. Better not. However, it's a challenge for every person that stands where I stand to wanting to help to get people moving, but they're not moving. I understand I don't agree with it, and I don't support it. When pastors go beyond their spiritual authority that God has given them and start doing things that they shouldn't. I know why they do it. Still wrong, and I will die before I do that. It's not my personality, so thank God for that. I don't want to control nobody. I don't want to have the responsibility of trying to make you do stuff. But it's still challenging to say, Lord, how do we get the people to really hear the word of God and start living the word of God. And that's why I brought to your attention tonight because I believe that was the answer that was put in my heart and that is we need to start measuring what, what we are, how we're moving spiritually and in our own mature way. Are we measuring anything to see where we are? Because we can keep doing the same thing over and over that doesn't mean we're growing. I've been in church for a little bit, and there are some people, you just do something emotional, and they, they start going crazy emotional. It never ceases to fail. The same thing all the time. That's not being spiritually mature. And I'm not telling you not to respond to the Holy Ghost. So when you respond to the Holy Ghost, that's fine. But I've been around where week in and week out, we come into the building and do the same thing over and over. And that is a deception because we think that that's growth. Oh, the Holy Ghost moved. I responded. I felt God. Feeling God is not growth. Go ahead, I'll let you process that so you don't get mad and say, man, what is he talking about? Feeling the presence of God don't equal growth. We can come together and we can worship together. We've got the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's even greater than feeling the presence of God. We've got the Holy Ghost in us. Don't mean we're growing. So we have to start measuring our actions. We have to start measuring our behavior. Because that's how we're going to know if we're growing or we're not. How about we pray just for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus Will you help us as a church, as individuals, that, Lord, we will draw the line in the sand tonight to say no more 
am I just going to show up just to show up? No more am I just going to go through the motions of living for you. But Lord, I will begin to measure and judge and examine my actions to see whether or not I'm growing or I'm not. To see whether or not I'm improving in certain areas or I'm not. I pray that the word that has gone out tonight will capture the imagination and the hearts of your people tonight, Lord God. Lord, it's enough of us in here tonight that if we set our mind on being a disciple maker, we can turn our world upside down. It's enough of us, Lord, that if we decide to be disciple makers, Lord God, we truly can make a difference in many people's lives. For who's to say the person that we disciple, oh God, what they will do. You said some, Lord God, are able, Lord God, to bring 30-fold and 60-fold. Lord, we know, oh God, that if we will do what you say, it works. And we can see a great harvest reaped in this northeast area, in our very own communities and neighborhoods and cities and towns. Uh, oh, Lord, will you help us tonight that this word will take root down in our belly, Lord, and grow and produce good fruit, Lord Jesus. I pray tonight that we will walk out of here pondering your word and not just, Lord God, allowing it to escape us, but pondering it, meditating on it. And the wisdom of God will help us to implement what we've just heard, Lord God. Help us to grow in every facet of our Christian life. Help us to grow, Lord God, and mature as Christians, Lord, that we can look back two months from now, six months from now, a year from now, and see great progress, great improvement, where we can say, yes, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm serving God the way he wants me to because I can see growth in my life. Lord, growth we want in our life and in this church so we can reach our surrounding communities this great state of New Jersey, Lord, and all across America and around the globe. Use us, Lord God. Help us to not be selfish and just do what we want and not worry about anyone else, but help us, Lord, to trust in you, to obey your word, and to fulfill ye your joy. Oh, God, we thank you. We bless your name. We praise your name, Lord. You're so good to us. We thank you tonight for your word, for all your blessings. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your attentiveness. God bless you. Have a great rest of your evening. Oh, don't forget, I almost forget the note. Razier would kill me. Tomorrow morning, every Thursday morning for the next foreseeable future, we have prayer in the sanctuary at 4 a.m. I mean 5 a.m., sorry. 5 a.m. I'm going way back in the day. And then at 6.15, we have an exercise class for 30 minutes to 45 minutes next door. So join us here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. for prayer and exercise. If you want to get in shape spiritually, 
and physically join us. God bless you.